Hello and welcome to another podcast brought to you by Life Community Church, Leamington Spa. Recorded at one of our Sunday morning services, we hope this message inspires, equips and encourages you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Great to see you this morning. And um, who's liking Dave, David's dicky bows? Who's, I can't believe he gets up here and expects us not to say anything. I love him. So I said for his birthday, I'll probably get one that spins round. So um, wonderful. Great to see you. And if you're new here, great to see you. And, and uh, as we start this brand new first part of our new uh, teaching series. And if you're listening on, online, thanks for joining us. And um, this series, uh, we're looking at, um, as you probably see his banner here, week in, week out, which says, we are. And only it's got f- um, seven different words. Um, united, purposeful, generous, relevant, authentic, devoted, enthusiastic. There are our seven values. Um, when we thought about these values as a leadership team, we thought, how on earth are we going to remember these seven words? So we've come up with this, um, do you call it an acronym? Um, upgrade. So you think of the word upgrade, that will help you understand the seven different words. And this teaching series, we're looking at, uh, we are, values to help us grow together as a church, as a community of believers. And uh, we're just going to look at four of these values in this teaching series over the next four weeks. Um, and they won't be necessarily the first four. But today I'm looking at the first one, which is United. And this teaching says, you know, we are so different, aren't we? We're all individuals. And God has called us as a community of people to belong together as a family. But how can we do that genuinely when we are so different? We all come from different walks of life and, and backgrounds. Can we really live a life which is genuine and belonging together as a family of God. And uh, we're going to look at this series, and we're looking today at the first one of those, which is called United. Talking about differences, though. Um, We are all different. Have a look around the room today. Different ages, different backgrounds, different um, working lives. All different. And one of the differences I've come to realize, um, I'm a bit slow up the mark here, is men and women are very different. Can I hear an amen? So when it comes to things like, um, when you get married, for example, I didn't realize it's the smallest things that make a difference. So some <laughs> men might leave the toilet seat up, women might prefer the toilet seat down. Yeah? Um, some people might forget to put the... Uh, the, the cap of the to- toothpaste back on. Any, any offenders in the room today? Okay. Who likes to keep the, tap of the, the cap of the toothpaste off? Give us a wave. Okay. Little things make a difference. Hands up if you're messy. Hands up if you're really tidy, like a, everything in order and organized. Well, I'm a bit of both. I like things organized, but when it comes to paperwork, I need help. Okay. Um, when you're ill, when you're ill, hands up if you're a good patient. Now, I'm, hands up if you're a lousy patient. Okay? Now, see, women, men, men, hear me for one second. Women don't understand man flu, do they? They don't understand that when you have man flu, then the earth is going to end. Okay? It's really, really bad. Yet the women look at us and say, oh, get on with it. I was up last night, I was being sick and everything, and, and uh, Liam was, even, was fast asleep. And where's your help when you need it? You know, where's your help? 
I mean, honestly. Um, so there's messiness, there's, there's illnesses, I and mean, they're just different. Um, and just getting on relationally can be different in different, different genders. And women, as we heard a few weeks ago from David, love to talk. Is that right? Whereas apparently us men can say it in a few words, where men say it in a lot of, women say it in a lot of words. So we're very different. Um, but our relationships, just looking at not just gender, but our relationships, we're all different, aren't we? And sometimes in our differences, it can be hard to, to get on or get along or to find a genuine point of connection um, or way to get on. But God wants us to. But we can struggle. Sometimes we can struggle in our relationships. In our, in our marriages, we can struggle sometimes. We can go through seasons where it's hard to get along. We get through seasons in our friendships where it's like perhaps we feel all alone or perhaps you might feel, I haven't got many friends. Maybe at work, you know, you've got to get along with colleagues. But sometimes it can be different, difficult because we're all different. Wow. Well, I'm really pleased that the Bible has got a lot to help us with this. And um, I'm going to invite you to turn to, in, the, in your Bibles with me this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, I'm going to share where we'll be going in a minute. But this whole idea of, of being united. But you're going to read this passage and you think, what on earth is that going to do with being united? Well, just bear with me for a few moments. Because if the Bible can teach us something this morning, don't we want to hear that? If the Bible can help us in that whole idea, which I believe is God's idea, about being united then I think we'd want to hear that. If I can make a difference in our, in our different relationships that we've spoken about, working lives, friendships, married lives, just at university, every different relationship we have. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 to 5, it says this. Heading there is perilous times and perilous men. Sounds hopeful, doesn't it? But know this, writes the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing to his, his young mentee called Timothy. But know this, he writes, that in the last days, perilous times will come. That means difficult times, really challenging times are going to come. Sounds like a positive message, doesn't it? For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. We'll just pause it there. Sounds like a bad list, doesn't it? And if you're like me, you're reading that list, and maybe your line of thought is thinking, wow, that's really bad. I'm glad I'm a Christian. But Paul is saying in the last days, people will become like this. He goes on to write in verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Paul's actually writing that in the last days, the church will have people in it who match that description. Wow. 
So we think of that and we might think, well, maybe people who, who aren't yet a Christian, maybe I know some people that maybe like that sort of thing. You might be li- reading that list thinking, well, I know people that, are, are, that love themselves or, or are traitors or love pleasure. But Paul's writing, actually, in the last days, there's going to be people in the church, like the list you've just found. Let's be really honest for a moment. What on earth has this got to do with being united? Well, if we can go back to the first verse. Verse 2. For men will be lovers of themselves. Do you know what? Actually, that's the first thing that Paul writes. But, and then it goes on to list other things. Lovers of money, boasters, proud. But you know what? As one author thinks, maybe the rest of the list all stems from that first one. Being a lover of yourself. Because if you're a lover of yourself, then you're all about me. Me, my, and I. And, and so you love of yourself. Therefore, if you love of yourself, you want to perhaps love money, earning money. So you can spend it on yourself and spend it on, on your pleasures. And maybe you might be a bit proud and arrogant because you love yourself and you think you're okay. And I'm okay. And it might lead to having disobedient to parents. Well, you might think, well, Christian children aren't disobedient to parents. Well, um... If you know any Christian children, ask their parents. Spend a week out in Sunday Stars. Yeah? Because it's an innate thing in children to be disobedient. You don't have to teach children to be disobedient. Do you? Do we, big children? There's something deeply selfish in all of us. And I, I've got to say something right now. I, I often would teach... Jesus said there's, there's two laws. Love God. The Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second law, love your neighbor as yourself. And often I've even spoken from this platform about you've got to love yourself. Because you've got value and God loves you. But to be honest, if we're really honest, we don't really need to be taught to love ourselves, do we? If we're really honest. Because we want to preserve ourselves. We want to look out for our own interests. Uh, we want to make sure we're heard and, you know, and, and spoken to and, and various things. We want to just be heard, we want to have a voice. So we don't have any problem with really loving ourselves. We might have some lower self-esteem issues sometimes. But we don't have to lo- teach ourselves to love, love ourselves. And the root is because God says love God and love people. On all that hangs the whole of the law and testament. And Jesus introduced another commandment, which we'll come to in a few moments. Lovers of themselves. This is a real, real challenge. I'm talking right now to people that might call themselves Christians. This is a challenge to us, isn't it? To not be deeply selfish. To not be just lovers of ourselves. To not just look after our own interests. It is a really, really difficult challenge. You might think, well... I find it quite easy. What about the moment when someone disagrees with you? How do you respond then? The moment when perhaps life doesn't go as well for you as you're thinking, or someone misunderstands you. What happens then? 
difficult times, Paul writes, and difficult people. So this is a message that I believe even Paul wrote prophetically to his mentee, Timothy, to the church that was going to be birthed and to come and to us even today. Really, really sobering message. And it goes on to say, well, if we can move on, it goes on to say, and this is, this is hard. In verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. That means the outward looks good. The outward looks fine. Do you know, one of the things I've learned since becoming a pastor is, and I've, I've kicked myself a few times because I've learned never to assume. Never to assume that things are okay. Never to assume that, because the outward might look a certain way, but never to assume. I've kicked myself a few times through that because I have assumed, but never to assume. Because on the outward, we might look a certain way. In worship, we might raise our hands. But if in the deep root of us, there's things that aren't right, we can deny God's power working through us. We can look okay, but inwardly, things aren't all cooking. It's like sometimes we can be so concerned with style over, over the substance. And I've said this before recently. If you're struggling to understand this, think about the social media generation that we live in. Think about the Facebook and the, the WhatsApp and all that sort of stuff. And we live in a generation, and I'm, I'm not against taking selfies. We, we do it. So I'm not, this is nothing about taking selfies. But we live in a generation that wants to say, look at me. Look at me. We live in a generation of church that says, look at me. Look at me. And God forbid that we would ever be that church that says, look at me, look at me. Because all the glory must always go to God. I'm really careful about the language I use on social media. And it's easy to fall into the trap because every church is doing it, everyone else is doing it. No, the glory must go to God. We use social media, we advertise through social media, but the glory must go to God. So we have a form of godliness, but we're also knowing God's power. So we don't have to. If, there, if that's the problem this morning, the problem this morning is that we can be deeply selfish. It's a positive message, isn't it? Don't worry. The solution's coming. We can be deeply selfish. And, and, and it's written in the Bible that the heart of the man and women is desperately wicked. But you know what? Jesus has got a solution for us, hasn't he? Amen? Jesus has got a solution for us that can help us. And we'll see in a minute how this is going to come into um, our theme this morning of being united. Being united means this. Dictionary definition means to be joined together as a whole for a common purpose or by common feelings. It's derived from the Latin word for one. Everyone say one. So the word united comes from the Latin word for one, being united together, joined together for a common purpose or common feelings. And my main thought for us today is this. Moving from me to we 
takes three. Okay, let's say it out loud together, shall we? One, two, three. Moving from me to we takes three. We're going to unpack this a bit more. Moving from me to we takes three. If me is about me, my, and I, and being a starting point is being selfish, and even if you're, you guys yourself a not-selfish person, you are still selfish because that is the way we're wired naturally. So if we've got to move from a situation of me to actually other people, other people, having relations with other people, it's going to take three. It's going to take more than you, more than another person. It's going to take a third, third person. So here's the solution. The solution is found in John chapter 13. We're going to be reading from John chapter 13 and John chapter 17 this morning. And John chapter 13 through to 17 um, is basically taking place just before Jesus is about to be betrayed. Jesus, in John chapter 13, is having his last supper. He's instituting the, the Lord's table. He's having, sharing a meal with his friends, his disciples, before he's about to be, be betrayed. And he's taking an, an opportunity here in this upper room to share some heart. Share some heart. Judas, the person, the, his disciple that was going to betray him, has now left the room. And Jesus is sharing heart with the remaining disciples. And he says in John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you. He says this, having washed his disciples' feet. The mentor, the leader, the teacher, the king of kings, Jesus Christ, has just stooped down and washed his disciples' feet. He's instituted a pattern. He says, guys, go and do likewise. He wasn't saying wash other people's feet, but he was saying, serve other people. Serve other people. And then he says in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And we know that word love there means, is the Greek word agape, which is a, a love of the will. It's not a love of the motion. It's not feel up. It's, it's, it's agape. I choose to love you. I choose to love you. And Jesus said, you know, there's the first commandment, love God. There's a second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And here's a new commandment, love one another. Love fellow Christians. Love people, Jesus followers, Christ followers. Love them, but use Love by a choice of the will, because you're going to need it. Why? Because we're all different, and because deep in our hearts, we are selfish. Wow. And then, at the end of chapter 14, Jesus says, arise, let's go from here. So they get up and they start to walk towards the Mount of Olives. And between chapters 13 to 16, Jesus said some amazing, profound things to his disciples. And he can imagine them, well, I imagine them, on their way to the Mount of Olives, talking, discussing amongst themselves, thinking, what on earth? He's going to be glorified. And he wants us to, um, he's going to give us the Holy Spirit. He's going to give us his peace. And all these different things, there's going to be a coming rejection and we're going to be glorified, and all this stuff, and I don't understand it. And then imagine 
sort of talking to each other. Have you ever been in a room before a service begins or before a Christian meeting begins? And you might be talking to your friends and there's whispering and talking. And the room is filled with maybe laughter and chatting. And suddenly the person that's going to lead the meeting starts to pray. Okay? And so people at the back are still chatting because they can't hear the person praying. And people near the front sort of start to stop their conversations because they hear them praying and tune in to listen. And gradually where the chatting starts, the silence starts to descend through the room from, back to, from front to back. Well, everyone tunes into the person leading the meeting who is praying. And everyone says, Amen. Like a sort of Mexican wave of, of silence. And I can imagine this happening because what happens is the people, the, I can imagine them chatting away about what the great things that Jesus said, things that perhaps they don't fully understand right now. And it says in chapter 17 and verse 1 that Jesus spoke these words. He didn't say, it doesn't say he prayed, it says he spoke these words. He, he, he lifted his, his eyes to heaven and said, very casual. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. You can imagine just a really conversational prayer. Just Jesus chatting with his heavenly father. That's what prayer is, isn't it? You don't have all the words, all the language. It's just one heart, the father's heart, just talking and telling him how you feel him. It's amazing. And in this amazing prayer... There's three parts to it. Jesus, first of all, prays for himself. We're talking about not being selfish. Well, it's the best thing you can do to pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. Not saying pray that you'll have a, a Porsche or a Lamborghini, but pray for yourself. Pray that God would help you. Pray that you can be a blessing to other people. Pray for yourself. Jesus prayed for himself. He then prayed for his disciples that were with him, that, it, that had followed him for the last three years of ministry. He prayed for, for them. They needed his prayers. Because through them and through their message, we now have the word of God today. And through others that, that came to believe. The word of God. The word of God that is a bench line for us who do believe. And sometimes we pick and choose, but this is the word of God. And this is, can help us and this can direct us. And we don't pick and choose. If we're disciples of Jesus, we say, Jesus, I choose to believe in the, the difficult bits, the bits that are hard to understand. Help me to understand. So Jesus pr- prayed for his disciples. And then Jesus prayed for those that would believe. A group of people that, through the message of the disciples, that would end up believing. Do you know what? That group of people, that important group of people, includes you and I today. We are the third group of people that Jesus prayed for in this important prayer. And we'll see it now on the, on the screen. From John chapter 17 and verses 20 to 23. Jesus prays for all believers. He said, I do not pray for these alone, that's his friends, but I also pray for for those who will believe in me through their word, (laughs) through their testimony, their written word, the word of God, that they all may be one. Everyone say one. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. Well, let's just pause it there. That the world would believe that Father God sent Jesus if we people that would become Christians, that would be followers of Jesus would be one. 
Isn't that amazing, sobering thought? We can do all the evangelistic outreaches and events and strategies that we want. But ultimately, Jesus is saying, remember, let's come under the authority of God's word this morning, that if we are one, as hard that is sometimes with our differences, if we can be one, then the world would know who Jesus really is. Isn't that amazing? Let's go on to, to read in verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Or another translation says, may be made perfect in unity. That they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. We're just going to keep it on that verse there. Some people think, well, what does the glory mean? That the glory that you gave me, I've given them. Some people think that means it's the, it's the future glory. When Jesus goes to heaven, that we're going to be like him. We will be like him. Jesus conquered death, amen? Jesus conquered death. That means when we die, everyone, we have got a hope of eternal life and a life forever with Jesus if we have a relationship with him. But I don't think it means that. Because what Jesus says at the end of that verse, I have loved them as you have loved me. And I think it means something different. I think the glory that Jesus is talking about is something along the lines of the gospel. The sonship. The sonship you have given me, the glory you've given me in my incarnation is my, as being a human, the son of God being a human, I've given them the right to be sons of God. I've given them the right to be sons and daughters of the king. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. This is challenging stuff. Remember, our hearts are selfish, but God wants us to be a church that is one. One with each other and one in God. Is that really possible, Dave? Is that really possible? Well, the, what the result is going to be, the, world, the result is going to be that the world will see us. They will see us, look at us, take notice, not for our glory, but realize that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus was sent by his Father to give us a hope and a future, give us a purpose in life, to live with him forever. If we turn around from our sin, if we repent and change our minds, say, God, I want a relationship with you. Wow. So having said all this, it's, it's, what can we take from this? What can you do this week? What's two practical things you can do? Remember the, the idea this morning is moving from me to we takes three. Moving from me to we takes three. In that great discourse that Jesus said in, in, with the upper room, he was talking about abide in me, abide in the vine, and you will bear fruit. Abide in me. So, moving from me to we takes three then there's two things we can do this morning. Number one, if it takes three to move from me to we, we can, number one, follow Jesus. 
abide in him. Church, this is, if you're a Christian here today, this, don't let this go off over your head right now. Don't wait for the next thing. This is the most important ingredient. And I talk to you about someone, as I'm a follower of Jesus, as if you're a Christian here today, you are too. Am I always in love with Jesus as I should be? No. Do I want to be? Yes. As I'm sure is your heart today. So we've got to keep on abiding. We've got to keep on abiding. What does that look like? I love that prayer of Jesus when he just prayed and the whole silence filled his friends as they walked towards the Mount of Olives. Just a relational, conversational involvement with, with God. Praying. God, I just invite you into my world today. You get up tomorrow morning. God, I invite you into what I'm facing today. I invite you. If you're facing some challenges, pray. Jesus, would you meet my need in this challenge I'm facing right now? In your relationships. Jesus, I want you to be involved in my relationships. Perhaps today you feel lonely. Ask God to help you in your relationships. To become a friend. The Bible says he wants friends, must himself be friend, become friendly. Help Jesus to change you from the inside. You can't change other people. We can only change ourselves, can't we? It's one of the, the greatest lessons we can learn. We can't try and make people whatever. We can only change ourselves. Follow Jesus. Abide in him. Read the, read the word. Just get it into you. Just pursue Jesus. Church, if today, if, nothing, if you hear nothing else, unity, oneness with other people will only look good and make sense if we're one with Jesus. Otherwise, we take our unhealthiness into our relationships and put it on other people. Now, we will do that because we're just, we've all got baggage, haven't we? We've all got baggage. None of us are perfect. But when we're pursuing Jesus, then our hearts change and say, God, make me better. I don't want to stay as I am. I don't want to stay as my, I am. Just make me better. The church, follow Jesus. Abide in him. And number two, gather together. For um, Christmas, or no, for Daniel's birthday, um, my mum, grandma, bought Daniel some Lego. And uh, he's really into this technical Lego at the moment. And uh, so this technical Lego set was a plane, and he made this all himself. I'm just going to show you. Isn't it clever? Apparently, when you, it goes along, the got the engine there and the things go along and he loves this bit. You can open it up and um, put some water bombs inside. You press the lever and the, uh, the bombs drop out. He loves it. He loves it. But he made it all himself. There's about 100 and over 100 pages, about 80 odd steps and he did it all by himself in his bedroom by alone. You know, I thought, goodness, hasn't he done well? But Lego is amazing, isn't it? Lego is amazing. How someone thought of that, that was the end product an aeroplane, and how someone thought, okay, how are we going to make that end product? What sort of Lego pieces do we need? And how are they going to fit together? And isn't that a picture of the church? A picture of the church, how every Lego piece is so different and so unique, but every Lego piece has a purpose, and it fits together according to the instructions 
the maker's instructions. It has to fit together. Because if it doesn't fit together, it's not going to become what it's intended to be. And some people feel that they can be a Christian and be by themselves at home. That's not God's intention. God's intention is this beautiful thing, this challenging thing called the church, where people of all different shapes and sizes and backgrounds fit together fit together under the maker's instructions to create this beautiful thing called church. Where if we are one together in purpose and heart, learning how to get along sometimes, sometimes learning to agree to disagree, then what a wonderful, wonderful witness we can be to the world by learning to fit together. But there's a problem. And the problem's this. I'm looking at my bag now. There's another piece that I've missed out. And there it is. Have you ever seen little Lego men? There's a little Lego man. He's got a moustache. <laughs> it's a yellow Lego man. I've obviously been in the sun. And sometimes people think, well, where do I fit? This Lego man's thinking, where, where am I going to get into this plane? But if this is the church, where do I fit in the church? Where's my place? Perhaps I haven't got a place. Well, God says, yes, you have got a place. You've got to find your place where you, in your unique gifting and personality, can serve God and a place where you can belong. But sometimes we want to be in the positions where we are noticed. I put him on top of the plane. And there's something in us, I want, to be, I want to do this, I want to get involved with this, I want to do my thing. And that selfishness that we spoke about at the beginning comes into play. God says, you know, just submit yourself to God and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. And sometimes we, we, we strive with other people over diff differences and dis disagreements. But that's where God says, well, follow Jesus. If we follow Jesus, God will help us to do the right thing in our relationships with other people. And the second point is gathering together. We've got to gather together. And we're gathering together here on a Sunday, and that's brilliant. But when we gather together, it's got to be for a purpose. It's got to be for a purpose. So we gather together corporately to, to worship Jesus, don't we? We don't gather together to worship each other. We worship Jesus. But it's got to be more than that. We are the church, and if we're fitted, and we're all different, and we all have a place, then you are carrying something very important this morning. You are of amazing value. You being you, and the words that God will give you, can build other people up. We're not called to be islands, we're called to be the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, called to be built together so what's your part this morning let me encourage you church that whenever you gather together ask God God how can I be a blessing to someone this morning how can I be a blessing I want to encourage you many of you do this anyway but have coffee with people don't just leave here invite someone and go out for coffee in the week Connect with other people throughout the week. 
Jesus says, a new command I give you that you love one another. He's talking about the other Christians. So love. How can you love on someone this week? Could you give someone a phone call? Could you have coffee, spend some time with someone? How can you love on someone? How can you, and when you meet up, say, God, help me to encourage this person today. What can I speak? Because we live in a world where there's so many words that tear us down, aren't there? But our words have got the life and death in the power of the tongue. So what can we say this week to build someone up, to encourage someone, to put courage into someone? Encourage. What can you do? What can we say? Actionable steps today. Think, well, this week I'm going to spend time with this person. I'm going to phone them up. This is where life groups are so important. I know we talk about life groups all the time. But life groups are a way of just coming around the room, coming around together, discussing God's word, praying and supporting each other in small groups. They're so, so important. So people can have genuine, genuine relationships and friendships with other Christians who are on the same mindset. Say, I don't, you know, I can pray for you. I can stand with you, alongside you, connected together. Jesus said, wants us to be united. He wants us to be one with God at the center and are standing side by side, connected together. But it is hard. It is hard. And we won't always, we won't necessarily always be connected. So this person over, this bit over here isn't connected over here, but it's connected to something. We as a church need to be connected to people, connected to someone in the church. And if we're not, I encourage you, see who you can become connected with, even this week. And other people, you know, I, I love the fact that people ever, all the time are saying, this is such a welcoming church. And I love that. But I want us to be more than a welcoming church. I dare to believe that we can be a church that is united united, that knows what it is to stand shoulder to shoulder together with each other. And just imagine the difference we can make if we do that. If we stand shoulder to shoulder together, carry each other's burdens, love on each other, encourage each other. The Bible said, well, Jesus said, Jesus says, the world will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Wow. Yes, we're going to do the outreach programs and all that sort of stuff, but let's do that united. Let's do that in unity. Let's do that in oneness. Oneness. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. For many more resources and for more information, visit our website at www.life-cc.org.